In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we've been talking about the last two weeks um, of the idea about Revelation. And not the book of Revelation, but the general idea of Revelation. And what is Revelation? And the idea that we cannot know God unless he makes some kind of, takes some steps in order to reveal himself to us. And we spoke about that there are four ways, at least that we're speaking about, of Revelation. The first is the creation. We see evidence for God in the creation. We see evidence for God in the design of the universe. We see evidence for God in the design of life. We see many things that it's very hard to, to believe that could just have happened on their own spontaneously without any kind of plan or purpose behind it. We spoke about that the first week. The second week, last week, we spoke about the human conscience. Like the idea that there is an ingrained sense of right and wrong inside each of us and that even across different um, societies and at different time periods, that there are certain things that feel inherently right and certain things that feel inherently wrong and how this points to that we are created in the image of a God who has a certain moral standard. We spoke about that last week. This week, we're going to speak about one of the more explicit uh, revelations, which is the revelation through the scripture, which is the direct uh, conversation, the direct teachings of God to his people. Something that it, when we discover it, when we read it, and we believe it, that it is truly the word of God, tells us many, many, many things, and we're going to speak about that um, today. So we can ask this question of how do we know God, right? Um, God essentially gave us a manual for us to know him, for us to understand him. He didn't reveal everything. He didn't tell us absolutely everything that we want to know, but he told us what we need to know for salvation, right? You know, a lot of times out of curiosity, we ask a lot of questions, and we want to know things. You know, we want to know things. Like oftentimes, like in middle school kids, they will ask these questions, and you're like, I don't even know how to begin to answer that question um, because we don't know, Right? things that are happening in heaven or things that, you know, beyond beyond our understanding, things that why did God do this and not that? Why? I don't know why, right? Because God did not reveal it, right? And when we as human beings try to speculate on the things that maybe we're curious about, but not based on the revelation of God, then it's very easy for us to get get the answer wrong. Or we don't know who's right. Or people maybe argue with each other about what's right and what's wrong. And the reason is, is that, well, God never said. God never revealed, right? And because God never revealed, we can't just kind of like deduce, deduce it based on just guessing or based on understanding or reasoning by itself. A lot of times that's not going to get us the answer. We read the scripture to know what is it that God has said about himself. In Luke 24, it says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, Christ is speaking. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. So when God gave the scripture, even from the very, very beginning, the intention was is to teach the people about what was happening then and what was going to happen in the future. Of course, a big part of that was the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. What are the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah? And so the Lord, when he is on earth, he is speaking to his people, and he's saying, the scriptures spoke about me. And he explained them to them how that the scripture was actually revealing the coming of the Messiah um, from the beginning. And the scripture, you know, it was not written by a single person. It was written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years, 
And we believe that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit himself is the author, right? He used different people to inspire to write, but it wasn't a kind of dictation. It's not like God said, write these words and word by word by word exactly what to write. But the Lord inspired these writers and gave them to write according to their understanding that God gave them. Some of the things were direct quotations from God. Some of them were not. And so we believe that God gave us a scripture for our understanding. You can think of it like an instruction manual to life. How is it that we should live and what is it that we should believe? What are some of the things in the scripture that God reveals to us? One of the most important things is he reveals himself. Like, how would we know the existence of God apart from him being explicit and saying the specifics about who he is? How would we know, for instance, that God is Trinity? Right? How we didn't we know that God is personal? You know, it could be that there is a God, but the God is just like this impersonal force that exists in the universe, right? But we know that's not true because in scripture God is a person and he speaks and he and he and he and he has a will, right? And he interacts with us, not just as an impersonal, like pantheistic force that exists in in everything, but he is personal, right? And he he speaks. We know that God is omnipotent. He can do anything. There is nothing beyond his power. He's the one who created the universe. We know that he's omniscient. He, he understands everything. He knows everything. He knows all the things that are still going to happen that haven't happened yet. We know that he is all good, that he is the source of good, and that he is all loving, and we know that he is all merciful. All these characteristics about God, we learn them because he reveals them to us. He reveals himself to us. Another very important thing we know is who we are. Like, who are we? We just showed up. And then people can speculate. Where did we come from? Why are we here? What is the purpose of life? You know, these kinds of questions. And all throughout history, different people from different, you know, of different religions um, have different answers to those questions. You know, the story of Adam and Eve, for instance, it's a, it's a, it's a very unique um, explanation. It's a very, it's a very unique story. Where is it that we came from? What did happen at the very beginning when God created man and woman? Where were we? What did we do? Why were we not still there? Okay, what happened from then until now? All these are questions that had it not been revealed to us, we would have no answer to those questions, and we would just speculate. Um, what is sin? What happened when we sinned against God? How did the world change? How did we change? Why is it that we speak about salvation? What is salvation? Salvation means to be saved. To, well, to be saved from what? Why are we being saved? Why, is there, why do we need to be saved? Again, describing the process of sin, separation from God, losing um, unity with God, losing paradise, living far from God, the God's desire to restore us again to him again. All these are things that are explained in, in a lot of detail um, in the scripture. Um, how God has been working throughout history in order to restore us to him. God's interaction with Adam and Eve, God's interaction with Noah, God's interaction with the patriarchs, God's interaction with Moses, God's interaction with all of the people all throughout history that were a part of this plan of salvation that God is revealing himself and his plan through them, right? All of this, we read about it um, in the scripture. God's moral code. What is the definition of right and wrong according to God? How is it that we should live? How we should we make decisions? All these are things that we find in Scripture. Um, what are the rewards of those who are obedient? And what are the condemnations of those who are disobedient? 
Again, we find that in the scripture. What is the plan of God for the future? What should we be looking forward to? Right? Wh what happens after death? What is death? You know, how are we going to live after afterward? Um, all these are things that if we were to simply try to sit and philosophize, which many people have throughout history, philosophized about these things, in the end, what do you conclude is just one person's imagination, one person's ideas, one person's just, well, I think it could be this, you know? Um, are, are you familiar with uh, the story of Plato and the cave? There's a, uh, he, he, Plato, we know he's a famous philosopher. He had this idea of the cave. And he said, what if life is just like a man who is sitting inside of a cave who has never seen the real world outside the cave, but what they see is like shadows and reflections of someone on the walls of the cave from the outside. So they're like looking at the walls of this cave that they're inside, and they see like figures moving, and, and they're just the shadows of reality that are outside. Someone like Plato can sit and say, well, maybe life is like that. All the different famous philosophers, all the different you know, people who came up with different moral codes and, and, and what is the definition of, of ethics and morality, all these people, they came up with things based on their thinking. They're, they, they're thinking, well, it could be this. Let's philosophize and think. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with philosophy, but who is right? How do you determine what is right? And what is the definition of there being something that's right? So if, if we're saying that in the end we believe in the existence of God, God answers all these questions for us. He tells us everything about what is right and wrong. He tells us how we should live. He tells us where we came from, where we're going, and so on. And that's why the revelation is so important. And no amount of philosophy, no amount of deduction or thinking about anything is going to get us to what's written in the Bible. It, 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 nothing is ever going to get us there if God hadn't made it explicit and said, here, this is the truth, we would have never gotten there. Maybe in the last two weeks, we spoke about evidence of the existence of God, evidence of the existence of God in creation, in our own mind, in the idea that there is some sense of right and wrong built into each one of us. But when you come down to the specifics, into all these things about the truth of reality, how are we ever going to get there if not for God revealing himself? What is the purpose of the scripture? In 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Meaning the purpose of scripture is to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. That is the purpose of scripture. The purpose of scripture is not to describe scientific phenomena. Even though you might find that there is some scientific phenomena mentioned in the Bible, the purpose of scripture is not to describe history in a, in a rigorous, comprehensive manner, mentioning every important event and figure that happened in history, although there are many important historical events that we find in Scripture. So if we try to read the Bible with the mindset of let's get history from it, let's get science from it, let's get this and this from it, we're going to find that it's not complete. It's, it doesn't have everything in it because that's not the purpose of why it was written. It was written, why? To make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So for anyone who cares about salvation, for anyone who cares to know where we came from, where we're going, how we should live, what God is working in our behalf, and so on, we read the Bible for this purpose, for this understanding, to know God, to increase our faith in him, to understand the person of Jesus Christ. This is purpose. And it is profitable 
okay? And how does uh, St. Paul say it's profitable? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? So it is, it is written by God, even though it was written through the hands of human beings. But God is really the true author of the scripture and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, what are each of those things? It is profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? Dogma, which is... Yeah, the truth, right? That is the truth. You want to know the truth? You read the scripture. It tells you what is the truth. When we look at the world around us and we see all these different ideas, how do we know what is true of them? Well, whatever the Bible says, that is what God said is true. That's why we place the scripture at such a high uh, status in the church and each of our lives as believers because, it again, it is the manual for life. You want to be successful. You want to live in the right way. Live according to this truth. This is the truth that God gave. Okay, so that's doctrine. Reproof. Okay, reproof is what? Conviction of wrongdoing. Meaning if I am living contrary to what is written in the scripture, that I feel convicted. I should feel like, no, there's something, there's something I'm doing wrong. Right? I should have a sense of conviction in myself that there's something incorrect. I'm going against the truth. Because I know the truth, so that means if I choose to live opposite or contrary to this, then that means I am going in the wrong direction, right? And I need to change my, my beliefs, my actions, my decisions, so on, right? Which is why the, 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 the scripture is not just kind of like a theoretical book. It's not just a, a, th a theological book. It is a practical book. It is, it is uh, something for me to learn the truth and to live it out. For correction, so if I am living in the wrong way, it corrects me and fixes my, my the direction I'm going. For instance, the, when the scripture speaks about greed or love of money or love of pleasure or these things, it says, no, these things are not profitable and those people who practice these things will fall into all kinds of troubles and snares, right? So in order for you to not fall into those troubles and snares, then you have to change your desires, change your focus, change your actions to reorient them so that you are detached from the world, so that you do not have a love of money or a love of pleasure because those things bring destruction upon the person. This is, again, the, 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 the spiritual psychology that the, the, the scripture tells us. It tells us what is it that we as human beings are very easily addicted to. You're very, very easily addicted to money. You're very, very easily addicted to pleasure. You're very easily addicted to power and to authority, and all these things that we see. And all of this is not just lived out in the scripture as just commandments, but through stories of people who have experienced these things, and what is the conclusions that they came up with, and what we see happening to these people. So all these stories are examples for us to say, okay, be, be, like, be aware, like warning. If you choose to live this way, here's an example of a person who chose to live the wrong way, and then this is what happened to them. And here's a person who chose to live the right way, Right? And what happened to them? So it is for correction. It is so that we change. Right? So again, someone who reads the scripture should read it with the attitude of, how should I change? Because all of us need to change. None of us are perfect, and none of us are living our lives exactly as it should be. So every time I read in the word of God, and I listen to that truth, I should ask myself, how should I change in order to live according to this? Not the reverse. Because what happens is people are, no, how do I interpret the word of God in order to match how I live? That's a lot of times how people are thinking. 
when they read the scripture. If they read it and they find that, well, this is saying that these actions that I'm taking are actually wrong. So maybe it's not really saying that. Or maybe this is not really directed at me. Or really it's something else. Or really this isn't applicable in some way. Right? It's easy for us to dismiss the things in the Bible and the scripture that we that are convicting to us so that we don't feel guilty. So that we feel like I can continue going down this path, right, that I want to go down. The last one is for instruction in righteousness. How do I live a morally upright life, right? It's not just about the theological things. It's not just about the existence of God or, 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 or what's happened in the past or the future, but it's very practical. Right now in this moment, how should I live? Wh- how, wh- what principles should I take into account in order to live rightly, okay? This is how the scripture is useful, is profitable, is practical for us. As I said, it is a manual for life. First Timothy 3.17, it says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, thoroughly equipped. Meaning, if we didn't have this knowledge, we would not be able to live successfully. And we see in the world many people that try to find comfort uh, to comfort their anxieties, to comfort their loneliness, to comfort their desires in wrong ways, in self-destructive ways, in ways that actually makes the problem worse. When I say that the, the Bible is like a book of spiritual psychology, it pierces us, it looks I- inside and says, what is it that you are lacking? When, for instance, when, Je- when God is speaking to Jeremiah and he's saying, you people who are broken, are trying to find comfort in the wrong thing. You're trying to find comfort in other things other than me or God. He's saying, I am the fountain of, of, of living waters, and, in, and you are thirsty. Instead of coming to drink from me as the fountain of living water, you are bro- going to these broken cisterns or these broken pots that can hold no water. That every time they try to fill these pots, th- metaphorically, with water, all the water falls out, and so when you try to drink from it, it's empty. This is the analogy to what the things that we do in our life that we are trying to find comfort in, and they are empty. They don't bring comfort. Whereas God, who is the fountain of living water, he is like an unending fountain of water that's right in front of us. We don't go and drink. We still try to go to these empty pots that can hold no water. This is an example, right, of how God communicates and reveals to us not just facts about himself or about salvation, but facts about ourselves. How is it that we know ourselves? How is it that we understand our motivations? How is it that I know that I'm, that I'm choosing to go after these broken cisterns that can hold no water instead of going to the fountain of living water? Because I need a mirror. I need something that I look in and I say, this is telling me who I am. Right, And that's one of the big things that the scripture says. So that we can be equipped for every good work. That we may be complete. For me to truly understand myself. Because maybe I have all these obstacles that are keeping me from experiencing God to the fullest. Because I am making poor choices. Because I am going after other things. Because I am going after something that is not going to work out for me. For instance, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, whenever they were under threat by an enemy, instead of turning to God as being God as our protector, he's going to protect us from this enemy and repenting of their sins and trusting in God, they would go to other nations. Like they would go to Egypt, for instance. They would say, the Egyptians, they're going to be our ally in the war, 
and they're going to come and they're going to help us to fight the war. And God would always tell them, don't do that. Like, they're not going to help you the way that you think. Um, and it never worked out the way that they wanted it to work out. So the idea is, is that if we do not live life according to how God has said, then we will not find satisfaction. We will not find fulfillment. And even though we seek after everything that the world offers, that, that they claim is the answer for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for happiness, that every one of those things, when you go and you try it, you will find that it is empty and that it is lacking. And the scripture is what tells us this. It, it tells us who we are. And it tells us that if we do this, this is what will happen. Okay. Again, in John 6, it says, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It is the words of God that are, that are life. It is turning to God that brings life, not turning to the world and the things that are in the world. So again, the more we meditate on this, the more we place our faith in the words of God, the more we choose to live life according to it, the more we will find fulfillment and, and, and peace in the world. So could we know this any other way? You know, God is the, if you want to call him, he is the manufacturer of the human being, right? When you, when you, when you, when you buy a product, okay, and you want to know how it works or you want to know how to maintain it or you want to know, you know, what are its limits, you read what the manufacturer says. It says you can only use this product in this temperature range. You can only use this product. It needs this kind of maintenance. And if you don't maintain it this way, this is what you should expect to happen. And you trust the manufacturer to know the best about this product more than any other person because they made it and they tested it and they know exactly what it can do and what it can't do. And we trust the manufacturer, right? God is the manufacturer of the human being. And while you might have uh, science to understand humanity, and I'm not saying that's wrong, uh, and, and we are edified through that, like understanding ourselves, like psychology and so on. The one with the ultimate answer, who's the one who made the human being, is God. So when we go and we say, okay, don't, wh why, why are we, wh like, maybe after thousands of years of scientific understanding, do people finally conclude the same thing that God has been saying all along, right, about ourselves, about our addictions, about the things that we need, and so on. Uh, here, St. Peter, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Like the people who were the apostles, who saw the Lord and lived with him, they saw for themselves with their eyes what is it that God was doing. And they did not have to come up with fables. Like they didn't have to make up anything. They didn't have to make up stories about what is it that they saw. And one of the proofs of this is that they were willing to die for this belief. All of them. You know, like you could have a single person maybe be like hallucinating, delusional, mentally ill. And they're going to come and they're saying, oh, you know, this person, I saw him walk on water and I saw him turn water into wine and I saw him take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people and this person is just crazy. Okay, one person can be crazy. But when you have many, 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 many people that all say the same things about the same man, right? And, and that not just that, they, they didn't benefit anything from it. Like they didn't get power from it. They didn't get money from it. They didn't get anything from it. In fact, they died because they claimed this. They died because they proclaimed the faith that they had. So of what benefit was it for them to come up with a fable, you know, a cunningly devised fable? He's saying, 
We did not follow some kind of fraud. We did not create a fraud when we were speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is what the voice that came from heaven, the voice of God the Father at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's saying, if you want to have this illumination inside you, you want to be illuminated, you want to have understanding, and this understanding is not for vain profit. This understanding is not so that you can sell this knowledge and understanding to people. This understanding is for your own life. This understanding is for your salvation. This understanding is for your edification, right? He says, come and listen and read. What is it that the Lord has said? The stories that we are telling you, the truths that we are telling you, these are not fables. These are not frauds. We, we, are, we are telling you the truth of what is it that we saw, okay? And we see all throughout history and scripture that God revealed himself to many, many people. You know, how is it that God revealed himself to Adam and Eve? He, he spoke to them and he told Adam, that he, he put him to sleep and he made Eve from his rib, okay? Like e e Adam woke up and suddenly Eve was there, okay? She wasn't there before. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden with them. All the things that God commanded them to do, okay? The revelation. God revealed himself to Noah. He came to Noah and he said, um, build this ark because such and such is going to happen. There will be a flood that floods the entire world, okay? It's a revelation. How, in the, how would Noah know to do such a thing? He would have no way to know to make an ark on dry land so that people would mock him unless God came and told him to do so, right? There was no other way for him to know except through revelation. The covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all these com you know, the conversations, communication, the covenant that was made with them, again, it was a revelation. God is coming to them and speaking. Moses, Samuel, so many more all throughout that we read about the revelation of God to humanity through these people, okay? This is the importance of revelation. If there was no revelation throughout history, then we would know nothing about God. We would know so little, you know? We wouldn't know how to live. We wouldn't know what to do. We'd know what to expect. This is why when we read the word of God, it's something so precious, something for us to understand. So what in the end is our role? What is our role? In John 5, when Christ was speaking to the Pharisees and he was rebuking them, he said this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. It's a very convicting verse. He's saying it is not enough to be a theologian. It is not enough to go and read it is not enough to memorize the Bible. It's not enough to search the scriptures. Because those people who search the scriptures, they knew the scriptures. The Pharisees knew the scriptures. But what, are the, what is it that they are lacking? You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You are not willing to say, now that I know this truth, I'm going to change my life accordingly. 
I'm going to put away the things that God hates in my life, and I'm going to draw closer to God as an act of choice that I'm making on a daily basis because I believe in the things that are in the Scripture. Right? It is not just about reading the Scripture. That actually is not enough for us to have the revelation of God. The revelation of God is the work of God in each of us that is triggered by, that is kindled by, reading the Scripture. Yes. Yes. The, the work of God in us and the work of reading the scripture in us is to manifest in us a depth of faith of the knowledge of God in a very personal way, in a tangible way, in a way that we experience illumination. Like exactly like someone who was living in darkness and now suddenly for the first time they experience light and they've never seen light before. And it, it, you, someone who's always lived in darkness and never seen light cannot even understand the concept of light does not know how to describe what light is. Light for them is something foreign. And you can describe light to a person who, let's say, a person who's been born blind and has never seen light before. What words do you even just use to describe light to such a person? There is no word. There is no concept of, of, of the sense of sight in order for you to describe sight, right? But imagine a person who was blind, like the man born blind, who for the first time sees. How would you even be able to describe that, that person, even to describe the sensation of being able to see like for the first time. So just as from a physical perspective, uh, a person who is physically blind and then begins to see has this indescribable experience of experiencing something that could never even be fathomed before. So also from the spiritual perspective, a person who is living in spiritual darkness when the Lord touches their heart, when they begin to see, when they read the word of God and their eyes are open to it and God works in them, then this is what he is describing. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, until you really understand and see the, the, the love, the depth, the magnitude of God in, that you experience it yourself, there is no way to describe. So even as we searching the scriptures and reading and reading and reading, it's words on a page until you experience it in real life, right? And there's something that is our part in order to experience it. Of course, this is the work of God in us. This is the grace of God working in us. But for instance, if I see that the God says, I want you to live in a certain way, do I make the effort to live that way? Or do I expect that I'm going to continue to live however I want and then expect that the, the morning you know, star is going to rise in my heart? No, it's not. You're not going to see God because you are choosing to live for your own pleasure and not for according to how God asked us to live. So this is why our role in this, in the end, this is the grace of God working to, to, to reveal, again, we're back to the idea of revelation, to reveal himself to us in a very personal way, not just a historical way, not just he revealed to us through prophecy, he revealed himself to us through nature, he revealed himself to us through whatever. No, he's revealing himself to me personally as an individual, but only if I'm willing to come to him that I may have that life, right? Um, in the book of Acts, there was a group of people called the Bereans, and um, St. Paul, when he went and he preached to them, okay, 
It says this, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. These Bereans, when they searched the scripture, because they even used the same term, searched the scripture, but they were doing it not because they just wanted to have theological knowledge, but because they wanted to live according to what they found. The person who is really going to experience God is the person who wants to read the word of God with full um, expectation and with full desire and with full intention of living according to what they find regardless of where it takes them. Meaning if a person reads the word of God and they realize my profession is a sinful profession and I'm willing to quit. If they read the word of God and they find the hobbies that I have are sinful hobbies, I'm going to quit them. The person reads the word of God and says the way that I'm spending my time is wrong, I'm going to stop. This is the person who will experience God. Not just the person with the most knowledge, but the person with the most desire to live according to the revelation that God gives. Yes. The kingdom of God is at hand can mean that the, the work of the Holy Spirit, like the people are about to receive the Holy Spirit in the Pentecost. So the kingdom of God is at hand means that we are going to experience God and the kingdom of God in a very, very real way. Okay. Um, also, he can be speaking about the transfiguration where people are going to see the glory of God okay, in, in, in the glory of Christ in his transfigured form. Also, he said the kingdom of God is within you, right? The kingdom of God is within you, meaning in each of us, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we experience God. I mean, what is heaven? Heaven is being in the presence of God. Like, heaven is not just a physical place. What gives heaven its characteristics is because it is the place where God dwells, right? That's what makes it so. That's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it a desirable place to be. It's not because the place itself, it's because of the one who is there. So if in each of us, the spirit of God dwells, then each of us becomes like heaven. Each of us is the temple of God, the house of God, the place where God dwells. So in each of us to have this experience that when we read the word of God, that we become illuminated and that we desire to live with God. And this is why we see certain people throughout the history of the church that did this to such an extent that their lives became very notable and exceptional, like the saints. You know, these saints, like someone like St. Bishoy, who wanted to pray so much that he didn't even want to fall asleep during the night, so he got a rope and he tied his, his hair so that every time he would doze off, he, the, it would pull his hair and he would wake up. Like, this is a, a, an extraordinary, beyond human desire to be with God and you don't do that out of obligation like you don't do that like you know like many of us like when we pray we're like oh I have to pray today and I say okay I prayed this I'm, I, I did my prayer for today what he's experiencing is not that what he's experiencing is such a deep like personal realization and like that he sees God and he wants to be with him and because he wants to be with him he's willing to do anything to be with him that is what I'm talking about and these saints, what made them so special is because they were willing to give up everything to be with God. Everything. 
for us, unfortunately, that we have so many attachments and things that we're not willing to let go and things we struggle with. Because if we really ask ourselves, do we love God more than anything? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, the answer is no. Because if we truly loved God more than anything, that would be reflected in the way that we use our time. That would be reflected in the decisions we make. That would be reflected in the way that we deal with one another, right? So to be honest, like we're really, really honest with ourselves, I don't think realistically we can say that we love God more than anything. But those people who did, those people who really lived according to that, that they love God more than anything, you could see it in their lives that it's very, very clear. So it's true that that is the case in some cases, but we often don't appreciate how God is already revealing himself to us. You know, like the perfect example is actually in the story of St. Beshoi. In the story of St. Beshoi, the disciples of St. Beshoi, they were jealous. And they're like, St. Beshoi, how come Christ appears to you all the time? We want to see him, right? And so Christ, when he appeared to St. Beshoi, St. Beshoi told him, my disciples, they want to see you. So he said, okay, come at such and such time on the mountain. And so when that time came, all the disciples, they went to the mountain and they were in a hurry to run up the mountain to see Christ. Okay. But there was this old man at the bottom of the mountain and he said, where are you going? And he said, we're going up to see Christ. He said, can you take us with you or take me with you? And they're like, no, 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 we're too busy because he couldn't, he couldn't walk by himself. Only St. Beshoi is the only one when he saw that man he did what? He's, he carried him on his shoulders to take him up the mountain. And then he realized as he was going up that that man actually was Christ. And when the disciples of St. Beshoi all got to the top of the mountain, they're like, where is he? And St. Beshoi told them, you missed him because he was that man. So Christ appears to us not necessarily in a miracle. Maybe he appears to us like an old man that needs service, right? When Christ said, anytime you give, you, you help one of the least of these, you're helping me. So we are given opportunities, even in our normal, routine, boring lives that doesn't have a bunch of miracles in it. We are given opportunities all the time to choose to live according to how Christ wants us to live. And to those people who are the ones who are going to go help that man, to the people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for others, to the people who are willing to pour themselves into prayer, to the people who are so sincere with their fasting, to the people who want to sacrifice themselves for the sake of Christ, maybe those are the people that Christ will actually physically appear to them. So we don't go from zero to 100. You go little by little. And even in the parable of the talents, when the master came back and he saw the servants, to so the one who, who worked the hardest, he gave him more reward, Right? So Christ looks at what we do with what we have been given. And for those who have been faithful to what they have been given, Christ gives more. But to those who have not been faithful, why is it that I would expect then for Christ to come and say, oh, well, now I'm going to appear to you? You know, it is, it is, it's up to him, right? It's up to him. But all I'm saying is we each have been given, on, we've been given the revelation, we've been given the opportunity, 
And we can choose on a daily basis whether I choose to live according to what Christ said or not. And for those of us who choose Christ, even in the most mundane, even in the smallest, the least miraculous things you can imagine, Christ takes note and he notices. And maybe those are the people who one day become the saints. And one day we, we see their life and we see their faith and we see actually miracles manifested in them, but that's not how their life began. Maybe it began with the simplest, smallest things that are not, you know, we would look at it and be like, well, that's not that important, you know? So today we spoke about how God reveals himself in his word and, and that he is very explicit and direct that he gave us these commandments and these revelations for our benefit. So it is important for us to read it, to meditate on it, to practice it, to the best of our abilities, and ask God to help us in this, to grow in this, to grow in our reading and to grow in our practice and to grow in our love for him and to respond to the love that he is showing each of us. And glory be to God forever. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us in your word. We ask you, O Lord, to make us to take your word seriously, to spend, O Lord, time meditating on it, understanding it, and applying it to our lives, and not just to read it, O Lord, so that we can memorize what is inside, but be willing, O Lord, to apply it in practice and to look, O Lord, in our lives at the people and the things that we are doing and that we are treating in a way that is not befitting. Teach us, O God, how to live a life for you and not a life based on our own desires, based on selfish motives, based, O Lord, only on the things that we want. But teach us to submit ourselves to you and to submit ourselves to one another, showing humility and love and kindness so that you would fill us and you would illuminate our inward parts so that we would not live in darkness, but we would live in light and the joy of your presence. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen the love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.